This is a WKYT podcast. Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant, and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. Hope you're enjoying your weekend. It's been a very busy week in Kentucky News. Later, an update on the emergency repairs to the Brent Spence Bridge from Transportation Secretary Jim Gray. But first, the state Supreme Court upheld Governor Andy Beshear's COVID-19 emergency orders, including the mask mandate. The ruling was unanimous that the governor did have the right under law to put in statewide restrictions to protect public health. It comes as COVID-19 cases are climbing fast again and raising new concerns about where we're headed. Dealing with that and other issues is the 63rd governor of the Commonwealth of Kentucky, Andy Bashir. The governor is joining us as he gets ready to mark a year in office during a year that no one could foresee for its challenges. Governor, thank you very much for speaking with us. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Bill. The Kentucky Supreme Court uh, spoke clearly and unanimously in saying that you had the right to impose restrictions on things like crowd size and to enact a mask mandate. What's your reaction to uh, winning that case at that level? Well, I'm relieved uh, and I'm grateful. To me, this isn't about winning a court case. It's about having the ability to protect lives during this pandemic. The actions that I've taken are the same actions that just about every other governor across the country has taken. They're all based on public health directives that come not just from the state, but even from the White House. But this lawsuit would have undone all of that. It would have endangered uh, all Kentuckians. It would have resulted in more loss of life. So uh, I'm primarily uh, just grateful that we can continue to do the work of, of protecting our, our individual citizens. Governor, as you know, uh, you know, many have vigorously opposed uh, your orders and the guidance uh, from the governor's office. Uh, this was the legal battle which you have won. Uh, but there continue to be those out there who say it is an unnecessary power grab and uh, it, it, uh, the rules infringe on, on freedoms out there. What do you want to say to them? Listen, nobody wants to be in the position where they're having to make uh, decisions that are between bad and, and bad, uh, that, that someone who is in an elective office is going to make decisions that, that I know are, are going to be unpopular, but they are absolutely necessary to save people's lives. Listen, I'm, I'm beyond the politics. I'm beyond the approve or the disapprove. This is probably the most important thing I'm going to be asked to do in my professional life, and I want to do it right. I want to do it based on the science, on, on the public health, on obviously weighing all of the factors, but this is a deadly virus that's out there. We've lost over 1,600 Kentuckians. Uh, we have uh, cases that are increasing at an alarming rate. We need more people to buy in and, and not to continue to, to, to fight and act like this thing isn't real or as just the flu. This, this lawsuit's over. We, we can end the silliness and, and just come together as a people and say we face a common enemy, a deadly virus, and all of our actions impact everyone around us. So let's do the right things. Let's protect one another. We have a vaccine on the horizon that if the, if the studies hold, is gonna be really effective. So between now and then, let's not lose more people than we have to. Let's protect one another so that we can be proud when this thing is over uh, that we did the right thing each and every day. Governors, you know the numbers don't look good right now. You're the one who uh, reports those to us. And, and, and given the, uh, the high court's finding, 
are you, and a lot of people want to know the answer to this, are you more likely now to impose new or additional restrictions as has been done in some other states? So we haven't been waiting on any court ruling on any decisions that, that we make, but what other states are, are doing right now is what we have already done. For instance, New York just limited private gatherings to 10. We already had that in place. Uh, Indiana and Ohio are looking at lowering restaurant capacity. Uh, they're looking at lowering it to where we already are. Some other states are finally looking at mask mandates, which we already had in effect, and, and they have been uh, working. Now, people will say cases are increasing. How are they working? Our cases are not near what some of those other states are. Uh, so there aren't many states that are doing anything that we don't already have in effect. What we really need is better compliance with those. Now, I can put a mandate in effect, but if, if 60 to 70 percent of Kentuckians uh, don't follow it, then it's not going to be effective. And that's why we put together these red zone reduction recommendations, because we need to not just be one state fighting this, which is what the Supreme Court said. It takes a comprehensive statewide approach, but every community needs to have ownership. And that's the mayor and the county judge, business leaders, the local chamber, the school system, all saying that this is out of control in our community and it's being spread within community with people that we know. So let's take the steps we need to over that period of time to decrease the cases. And this is what I hear from governors you know, all over the country. Right now what we need is compliance. We need more buy-in. We need more encouragement. We need everybody out there doing their part because, because people's lives depend on it. Governor, are you asking uh, local governments and authorities to, uh, to be more punitive in uh, what they're doing to try to enforce uh, some of these uh, mandates? Well, right now we need more encouragement and, and that will get us the, the maximum effectiveness out there. And that's leadership on the local, on the state, on, on all levels and on a personal level. Everybody doing the right thing each day is showing leadership and an example to those around them. But we also do need more enforcement. And what we are seeing, uh, especially in a, a couple cities this week, is them actually coming to us and saying, we want to help. Uh, we get where it is now. Uh, we want to uh, turn our uh, inspectors, uh, code enforcement folks, uh, to, uh, to, to put out there to make sure that we are getting the maximum amount of enforcement. because. If the people of Kentucky remember, when we first put the mask mandate into effect and every facility was making sure that you didn't walk in without one or you weren't checked out without one, we had a real impact. We stopped the climb that we were seeing in the summer, even when it was exploding in other places. And you can compare us even to Tennessee from that point, pretty much up until now, and you can see our increase in cases is not nearly uh, as much over, over much of that time. So we know the tools. We just need, again, better encouragement, uh, better enforcement, and better personal decisions. And yet, Governor, as you know, we are headed into uh, you know what is normally a very special and traditional time of the year with uh, the holidays and the gatherings, and, uh, and many families want to be together. Uh, you have released some guidance for that in terms of asking people uh, to limit their exposure. Uh, do you want to encourage them to follow that? Do you feel that that uh, will help uh, lessen the numbers? Thanksgiving could turn out to be deadly this year, which nobody wants. So Canada's Thanksgiving is in October and they have seen uh, a lot of cases coming out of it. You know, it's this special time and I love Thanksgiving. I love the food. I love getting together 
with 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 large group of of my family and my kids enjoy it too because they see people they might not otherwise see a lot throughout the year but the idea that it could turn into a spreader event that takes some of those individuals away from us, that they would not have that Thanksgiving the next year is something I can't live with. And, and public health experts are, are all telling us the same thing. This year, as much as you can, you need to limit Thanksgiving to members of your immediate household. If you're gonna go beyond that, be very careful, make it very small, and wear your masks. But what we are seeing is, is it's these types of events these types of family events, these types of, of, of get-togethers, eh, weddings, funerals, where people start out trying to do it right, but then they let their guard down. And it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to see someone lost because they went to a wedding to celebrate or someone lost because they went to a funeral to mourn. None of us want that to happen. And as long as we'll acknowledge that it is happening and that there is a problem out there, it, it helps us make the right decision to not put the ones that, that we love into danger. Governor, as you know, the timeliness of this is the fact that you've won this uh, battle at the state Supreme Court level, and yet you're very well aware that there's another uh, battle looming. Republican lawmakers have vowed to weaken your authority and those of future governors in dealing with an emergency. Uh, Senate Republicans especially say it's a top agenda item for them. Uh, clearly, they have the numbers to do it uh, in the legislature. Uh, what do you uh, say to them that might make them think twice about that? Well, first, we've been in a, a hypercharged environment now with the presidential election and, and the rest. It's a, a highly partisan environment where you know, we, we see people pushing uh, this direction or, or that direction. That ought to calm down some uh, by January. But what I tell them is COVID doesn't care. The coronavirus doesn't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican. It will infect you, it will spread through you, and for many people, it will kill you just the same. This is a pandemic. There's no red or blue. It's simply something that we must address based on, on public health advice. And, and the Supreme Court you know, didn't just rule that I had the authority under a statute that the legislature should change. They also said under the separation of powers, that's what it's set up on the Constitution. Responding to an emergency is, is the governor's job. So you know, I hope that they'll read the decision carefully and then I hope that they will uh, open their ears and their eyes and their hearts and see the suffering that's going on in each and every community. I mean, over 2,000 cases a day right now. And can you imagine if they came in and removed authority, if, if they can do that on people wearing masks? Could you imagine if they strip back the, the restrictions and, uh, and allow indoor stadiums or arenas to be full? It could be absolutely devastating. So this isn't you know, Andy Bashir, a uh, Democrat, or, or other people, a Republican versus each other. This is life and death during a pandemic. So let's get through COVID and then they can do whatever they're planning on after it. But certainly, let's get through COVID. Governor Kentucky only passed a one-year budget uh, last year because uh, there was urgency to uh, get the legislature out of town uh, at that point. Uh, so there has to be a spending plan for next year. Uh, we've had an incredible uh, expense of unemployment, state measures to contain this virus, uh, yet the revenue seems to be reasonably stable. Uh, how does that budget look to you a couple of months before you'll present uh, a proposal? We are hard at work on that budget each and, and every day. And, and a number of things that have uh, happened that are, are difficulties, certainly um, the economy, 
And, and then there are some things that have happened that are going to help us in that budget. Uh, first, uh, a lot of the, the CARES Act spending that we have done has directly assisted our economy. For instance, we only used uh, local Kentucky labs for millions and millions of dollars of, of testing, and that went through uh, the economy. But we were one of the few states to step up and say we provide the extra $400 supplement on unemployment, and that has cycled very well through our economy. Um, I'm, I'm one of the, the governors, and, and it's, it's about half of us, um, that commuted some uh, low-level uh, offenses uh, so that we wouldn't have more people in, in confined spaces like our prisons. And that's got one of the, the lower prison populations we've had in, in, in a long time, and, and that's going to save uh, some money. But there are, there are real challenges ahead uh, about how we do this, but also investments we need to make. So I've been, uh, you know, we've been uh, fighting. Uh, to get through this unemployment backlog, working every single day. But we've been working with a computer system that was put in in the year 2000. So certainly there will be dollars to upgrade that. We've been dealing with an unemployment office that was cut 90 people uh, several sessions ago. So we're going to have in our budget uh, to make sure that we have enough people to process these uh, more quickly. And you'll see some other things in our budget, acknowledging challenges that we face and wanting to invest in, in the future. I believe that we're gonna have a responsible budget. I believe we're gonna be able to fund the, the most important areas of education, uh, healthcare, and, and retirements, that we're gonna continue uh, to push to create good jobs in the Commonwealth. Uh, just because we're dealing with the pandemic doesn't mean we abandon our values. They're gonna be in our budget. Governor, thank you very much for giving us a few minutes of time, and uh, we appreciate that. Thank you, Bill. And we'll be back on WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. We'll hear from Transportation Secretary Jim Gray on the situation at the Brent Spence Bridge next. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. None of us could have imagined a year like 2020. COVID-19 has been deadly and costly and has changed all of our lives. And now with all of that going on and dealing with, Kentucky is also having to deal with the closure of the Brent Spence Bridge. That double-decker bridge connects northern Kentucky with Cincinnati and it carries two interstates, I-71 and I-75. A fiery crash on the bridge this week left it significantly damaged. But the huge structure has been the topic of a lot of discussions over the last decade or so. Two presidents, Obama and Trump, came to the bridge and indicated something needed to be done. Kentucky's Transportation Secretary Jim Gray is joining us to talk about the bridge and some other infrastructure challenges uh, throughout the Commonwealth. Gray, of course, a former Lexington mayor as well. Secretary Gray, thank you uh, for speaking with us. We appreciate it. You bet, Bill. Glad to be with you today. And I know you're coming to us uh, from the Emergency Operations Center in Kenton County, where an emergency has been declared. How significant is the damage to the Brent Spence Bridge, and how long do you estimate it's going to be closed? Well, Bill, one of the first things I want to say is I just want to commend all the people, all the inspectors that have been engaged in this project from literally across the country. We've got the best specialists, the best talent in the country that are examining, people who are examining this bridge. And I just want to acknowledge and thank them and recognize them for really the extraordinary work that has occurred in the last 48 hours. Just a few hours literally ago when this fire, when this accident occurred. And it has been a, and it has been a real challenge. So in, in, addressing, your, in addressing your question, uh, how significant is the damage? I was on the bridge myself yesterday. I'll be out again today with the inspectors. And 
based on a construction background myself, I was looking at the condition of the concrete deck where the fire itself, a very intense fire occurred. Mm -hmm. I was looking at the concrete deck on the lower level and the exposure of the fire to the upper deck and to the steel structure that supports the upper deck. And I will say that given the condition of that fire, the intensity of the heat, things actually could have been worse. The condition of the bridge today could have been worse. Now that said, we've got a lot of activities that have got to occur quickly, but safely and responsibly. So we can't accelerate the inspection process unduly or with haste. But what we can do is we can plan as much in a responsible way as we can. We can plan ahead for the repair work. We know there's going to be repair required. And you, now, uh, let me you're trying ahead. to compress the time frame uh, to get this done. Yeah, that's right? a really means, good way of yeah. expressing it. Yeah. We're, we're actually, what we're doing, Bill, is we are, we are, ex <clears throat> we are in real time, we are doing the inspection work, the analysis of the structure, the condition of the structure, the damage to the structure, and we are also planning or beginning the design work for the repairs that are going to be required. So all of that is occurring in real time on parallel paths. And in the construction business and in the in emergency repair work, you think of it that way. You think of doing the work safely and responsibly, but also in a compressed, in a compressed in a design and build hmm. way. Mr. Secretary, that uh, bridge uh, opened in 1963 and was designed to carry, as I understand it, about 50,000 vehicles a day. It's much more than that now. Uh, and, and that situation is reopening the discussion about long term uh, for a bridge that carries two interstates on it. Well, Bill, I can tell you that I'm, uh, I, was, I, was, I felt like I was very much aware and familiar with the conditions of the bridge and the traffic and the choke point that the bridge really represents. I felt like I was aware of that before, but I can tell you that I am enormously aware of that condition today. Uh, it carries this Brent Spence Bridge that was opened in 1963. So that's roughly 57 years ago. It was designed, as you said, to carry just over 50,000 vehicles a day. It's now carrying as much as 170,000 and perhaps even more vehicles per day. And more and, and equally significant is the fact that it's through that corridor, through that bridge is carrying as much as 3% of the gross domestic product of the country. Now let's look at what that represents. The gross domestic product of the United States is roughly just north of $20 trillion. So you translate that 3%, that's about $600 billion annually. So, so very, very important economically. Represents. Incredibly important. And economic you have to think, uh, you know, for even from a national security standpoint, very important artery. Yes. So to what extent is the federal government on board with assisting Kentucky in, in, in moving forward? 
you know, I've learned, I've learned uh, in being mayor, I've learned how challenging it is to bring a really important and significant project uh, <clears throat> to the forefront and actually execute on one. So there are, not unexpectedly, there are lots of different points of view on how a project like this can be financed. But in my view, this is not an option. This is a project that is a, it's essential that we move forward. Fortunately, Kentucky and Ohio are, are, have been planning this project for some time. And in, many, in some respects, uh, this event and this challenge may bring us to a new way of thinking. So to move and moving forward. So to move forward, Mr. Secretary, in your view, would mean to replace the Vince Prince Bridge. I want no, to be clear. I think, and I'm glad you brought that up, yep. Bill, because the plan is not <clears throat> has really never been to replace the Brent Spence. Now it's described as it's described in a technical way as functionally obsolete. But let me tell you that this Brent this this bridge is very sturdy. As some have described it, it is built hell for stout, all right? Mm -hmm. It's a very sturdy, in fact, its resilience was demonstrated through this fire. One of the, it's, it's incredible resilience. So this bridge has still a life in front of it. The plan is for a companion bridge to the west. Mm -hmm. And that companion bridge would then take some of the, <clears throat> It would provide some capacity that today is not being provided by the Brent Spence. So in other words, this original design was for 50 to 70,000 vehicles a day, and it's accommodating today more than 170,000. Mm -hmm. So this companion bridge would accommodate some of that extra capacity. Mr. Secretary, in overseeing the road and bridge projects uh, statewide at this point, uh, how much has uh, COVID-19 uh, impacted your efforts to uh, move crews and equipment to where it needs to be? Well, that's a big question. That's a good question, Bill. You know, our transportation workers, I'm, <clears throat> I'm uh, always praising these folks. Our maintenance crews out in the state that take care of our highways all across the state, more than 120 maintenance facilities in the state. And one of the real challenges, of course, that we have is snow and ice removal during the winter months. And with COVID, not unexpectedly, we're dealing with COVID in the same way that we are with the general population across the state. Unfortunately, the governor's guidance has been very clear and our folks, our crews, our maintenance crews have been very attentive to wearing their protective equipment and to following the guidelines. But despite that, we have had positive cases in our maintenance facilities. And we have some that have been closed down, some that have been some, a few that are closed down today. So we're very concerned that, about that, but we are making plans. Do you feel? We are, we are scenario planning for these events. And so as we head into winter, and I ask you this question many times when you were mayor, now you have the statewide responsibility for the, yeah. the roads. Uh, and this will be my final question. Uh, are you prepared to remove uh, snow and ice from roads, given that you're also dealing with uh, uh, sometimes uh, smaller crews? Yes, we are prepared. But I have said many times that we're going to be asking the public to be mindful. And please be aware that we have 
really unusual conditions that we're dealing with today. And in that sense, we'll ask the public to please be patient. Kentucky Transportation Secretary Jim Gray, thank you. It's always good to catch up with you. We appreciate you. Thanks, Bill. And stay with us on Kentucky Newsmakers. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers and a fight about the Affordable Care Act was in front of the U.S. Supreme Court this week and Greta Van Susteren has a look at that. Hello, I'm Greta Van Susteren and here is your full court fast break. This week, the issue of Obamacare back in the Supreme Court and the center of the dispute, once again, the constitutionality of the mandate. Listening to the justices' questions and statements during the oral argument, many are guessing, but only guessing, that the Supreme Court could reject the GOP's latest bid to repeal the Affordable Care Act. Five out of the nine justices are hinting by their questions and statements that they support leaving most of the law intact. In 2012, the Supreme Court upheld the law with a 5-4 vote with Chief Justice John Roberts surprising the conservatives and voting with the liberal arm of the court. The key issue then was whether the individual mandate in the statute was constitutional or not. Chief Justice Roberts, writing for the majority, held that requiring people to buy health insurance with the individual mandate was a constitutional exercise of Congress's taxing power. This was a loss for the GOP. Then in 2017, Congress passed the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. With this new law, the individual mandate, a tax penalty, was legislatively reduced to zero, thereby eliminating it. And that's where the new dispute arose. Now some states led by Texas argue that without the mandate, the remaining part of the Affordable Care Act is unconstitutional as an improper use of Congress's taxation powers. They insist none of the statute should be enforced and in essence, it should be tossed out. Other states led by California disagree. These other states argue that even with the elimination of the individual mandate, the rest of the law should still stand and should be enforced. Chief Justice Roberts and Justice Kavanaugh seem to agree, as do the three liberal justices, which would mean five to four the law would be upheld. Justice Roberts did note at the hearing that Congress did not try to repeal the rest of the act when it slashed the tax penalty to zero. He says Congress wanted the court to do that, but that's not the court's job. And remember, you can catch Full Court Press with Greta Van Susteren this morning at 1130 on WKYT. That's Kentucky Newsmakers. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you this week on the morning news and you make it a good week ahead.